Today, we're excited to have Hillary Caldwell. Uh, Hillary is a sexologist and member of the Society of Australian Sexologists. She has a master's in sexual health, a research master's about men who buy sexual services, and a PhD about women who buy sexual services. She works in private practice counseling people about their sexual issues, which almost always involve a degree of shame about being sexual. Hillary works towards gender equality by demonstrating that women and men have almost the same biological drivers for sexual response, but gender binaries and expected gender behavior restricts us all. In her private life, Hillary loves pole dancing and is now a granny with eight gorgeous grandchildren. Hillary, welcome. First of all, I should have called you Dr. Caldwell. And second of all, I don't imagine there's that many pole dancing grannies around. So congratulations on that title. That's pretty exciting. Thank you, Christina. I do enjoy um, being the kind of mascot around the pole studios these days. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I okay, love it. so Hillary, first question. I don't know that I understand what a sexologist actually is. Um, and um, I guess my question is, what is a sexologist? And what's the difference between, say, a sexologist and, and a counselor or, or a psychologist, in fact? Yeah, thanks. There is, there is, um, they, there's a lot of similarities. And there's also differences. The difference is mainly in the qualifications required and um, sexologist is not a protected title. So there are people who call themselves sexologists with no education and no memberships to um, any regulatory bodies. So if, if you're looking for a sexologist, um, it's good to check on somebody's qualifications. But generally, a sexologist who's registered with a body will have additional training in sexual matters and usually that's a master's or above um, and a sexologist who works in a counselling or psychology field has also got counselling or psychology as one of their professional qualifications. So, um, so there are many different kinds of sexologists. Some are social workers, some are mental health practitioners, some are GPs. Um, so there are in the sec in Society of Australian Sexologists, the body that I'm registered with, you can be a sexologist in either research, counselling or in education. And I have qualifications in all three. And do you find that, uh, sorry, just as an add on, if I go to see a psychologist and the psychologist finds, oh, she's got real issues with shame in her body and, and, and sex, do you get referrals from other professionals? Does, does that happen very often? Yes, yes. We, um, quite a lot of my work will be from referrals from other practitioners. Um, and I refer to other practitioners myself um, in similar ways. 
So yes. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, no, thank you. Now your PhD, Hillary, was about women who procure sex. So can you tell us a bit about what you found out about women, particularly women in their 50s, which is a target audience, and were they or are they willing to pay for sex in Australia? <laughs> That's a great question because, yes, they are. And, um, yes, I did find that. My study was only about Australia, but I have seen other research about women buying sex as sex tourists, and um, there is also a UK study about women buying sexual services in the UK. So um, it is a new area of research, but it is um, now that researchers have realised it's actually happening, there is a lot more interest in the topic. Um, and it's not just women in their 50s. Um, all adult women were in, in my study from ages 18 to 69, the first time that they bought sex. And, um, and women have been buying sex pretty much forever. Um, there, there have been a lot of movies about women buying sex and a lot of them, a lot of the movies until now have been very stereotypical about older women who are rich, bored, um, maybe, uh, like, uh, who hire male gigolos or, or things like that. But when I did my study, I found that women were of all ages and they procured services from all genders. And not all of them wanted sex per se. When I say sex, I mean intercourse. Um, some women just wanted to have a massage. Some wanted to just have touch. Some wanted to learn particular skills. I'm sure we'll talk more about that as we go on. Okay. And, you know, I should actually rewind back a bit and check with you. What is the appropriate terminology? Is it buying sex, procuring sexual services or intimate services? What is the appropriate terminology? That's a great question because the answer to that question is that the language is changing rapidly. And when I first started my study, I was talking about women buying sex and it wasn't long before I realised that sexual services are a whole lot more than sex and that sex has different definitions to different people. So the correct terminology would be women buying sexual services mm -hmm. at the moment. Yeah, I think that that covers the broad spectrum of what we're seeing. But I think if we're going to, it's not when I talk about buying sexual services, I don't mean just women. I mean, that would be a better way of describing all people who buy sexual services. Okay. Now, great. Thank you. And um, you you alluded to the fact that, you know, your studies focused mainly in Australia. And is there an increase in women, you know, buying sexual services or has it always been stable or are we finally starting to collect the data? What are some of the trends you notice across demographics or you know, um, greater increase in the procurement of the services? Yeah, that's that's another really interesting question because it's difficult to answer. And the reason it's difficult to answer is because by all accounts, more and more women are buying sexual services. And I can tell you in more detail about that. But um, I also want to tell you that we don't know how many people buy sexual services at all and we never really have. It's very difficult data to get. So if I say I think that the market's increasing, I can only say I think because we don't have a number before and we don't have a number afterwards. But what we do have is sort of estimates that when I started my study, when I started 
looking into this subject in about 2010. Since uh, my study, well, it's, you know, 12 years since then, I would say that it's much more because sex workers have told me that it's increasing throughout this time. And recently a sex worker told me that she had three bookings from women in a week who had never bought services before, which was the busiest time she'd ever had with women clients. Um, so sex workers are telling me that it's increasing really rapidly right now. But over the course of the last seven years, um, sex workers have said that it's increasing. It's also much more prominent in the media. And I know we'll be talking about the movie, Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, yeah. in, um, as well as um, there's another, there's an Australian movie that was out this year called How to Please a, Wim a Woman. And both of those movies are about women. Now, How to Please a Woman is Australian um, and um, was based in Melbourne. And Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, was filmed in Australia. So there's been a particular interest in Australia in media, which means there's probably, that probably reflects what's happening underground. Very interesting. Over to you, Christina. You mentioned this in the beginning and, and it kind of, it's frightening to learn that somebody can just put up a sign and say I'm a sexologist. And so I wanted to ask you about it being a regulated uh, profession and, and um, if it is regulated, does that mean it's covered by Medicare or private health insurance? And, and how can a woman find out if the person representing themselves as a sexologist is actually one that is registered with the regulatory body, which seems important. It, it is important. And I think um, it's great that your listeners are able to find out this information. If if someone's referred to a sexologist, they can um, look at their website or even ask the sexologist what their um, registration is and who their registration is with. And then they can look at the website from the regulatory body. Um, so that's how to find out if someone's registered. It's also important to ask whether the sexologist is a touch or a talk therapist because the ones registered with the bodies are talk therapists. And if you want a touch therapist, someone who teaches you about sex with their own touch, some, some of those practitioners call themselves sexologists as well. So it is important to find out what kind of therapist you're dealing with and what kind of therapist you want to deal with. Uh, some sexologists are covered by Medicare if they are also mental health practitioners and working through the mental health care plans mm -hmm. and some are covered by private health insurance, particularly social workers. Um, so it does depend on the sexologist's underlying qualifications about whether or not there is a rebate, but it's a perfectly good question for people to ask a sexologist when they're deciding whether or not they'll go and see one. I kind of assumed that talk therapy was the way to go. Like I, I didn't realize you could hire someone who would, I guess, use their own body to teach you. Uh, that seems rather incredible <laughs> to me. To yeah. Counseling well, related to that and related to regulation, Canberra's super progressive, right? Like we have uh, brothels and I think it's great that we regulate the sex industry. I think it, 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 um, protect sex workers and and uh, I think that's important so so it, 
would some of these brothels have say men who are servicing women as part of their their profession do you think as far as i know there are no men working out of brothels in canberra or elsewhere in australia um accessing a male sex worker for to learn in in the way you're describing um would be more likely to happen through an agency which you'd find online or through people in private practice in private sex work practice or there's another profession called sexological body workers in that profession they are considered sex workers by law so sex workers are especially trained in teaching people how to um, recognize and respond to pleasure so uh, for instance, if you'd never had an orgasm or if you um, if you'd had some confused feelings about past traumas, about how you actually felt, um, one of these practitioners would um, work with you in what we call one directional. So they would um, pleasure you in different ways or touch you in different ways and, and you would respond with how that feels to you and, you, and that would be a graduated response um, until you felt more comfortable um, and got what you wanted from that particular service. Going back to the comment you made about these two movies, Hilary, so there's Good Luck to You, Leo Grande, and the Australian one you mentioned as well. Interesting, they've both been filmed in Australia. So what do you think about this recent trend on fo you know, focusing on women's sexuality and in the Emma Thompson's movie, you know, mature women's sexuality? I am so pleased to see this movie and to hear these conversations. Women's sexuality has been held back by patriarchy, by mechanisms such as slut shaming. I think because women's expected gender behaviour is that we will wait till a man, this is a heteronormative approach, but women are sort of trained to wait for men to ask them if they're interested in a relationship or sex and for men to make the first move and this this might be true of your listeners who have just started dating for instance um people are waiting women are waiting for men to make the moves and then by the time they are responding to that and deciding whether they should be um sexual or not um, based on their reputation as madonna or whore um by the time women negotiate all these things and their safety their own sexual desire and pleasure is put on the back burner it's not as prioritized as a man's sexual experience for instance so I love that this conversation has started being happening all over the world that Emma Thompson's promotion of the movie has opened this conversation um, that women many women are ashamed about their bodies and about sex so I think that the movie did that so well I think I think so many women watch this movie of all ages and see themselves in some way in Emma Thompson's character um, which is excellent because once women start questioning their own shame about sex they start to wonder why they should be ashamed like if women have a lusty sex drive and feel good about their sexuality then it's a win-win situation um, situation for them and their sexual partners so so dropping that shame about sex is is absolutely wonderful and I think the movie does help women feel that that's something that they could address 
And also the way that Emma Thompson's character had good sex, gained confidence. She, she had the pleasure of good sex, but it gave her a real sense of her own confidence. And I see that in my research participants who bought sexual services. Um, they all felt far more powerful sexually afterwards. And there were lots of reasons for that. Um, but taking control was probably the first thing. Knowing what you want and going about getting it is really important because that's something that women have not been taught to do. Also, when these women engage sex workers, and like Nancy did in the movie, Good Luck to You, Leo Grant, um, they, they have to learn how to negotiate. They have to learn to ask for what they want and they have to negotiate consent. And they're, and they're taught, sex workers teach consent by example, role modeling, but also by um, expecting their clients to tell them what they want and drawing what they want from their clients, which actually helps women to know what it is they want. Because as I've said, um, many women's sexuality has been second to their safety concerns and their concerns about their reputation. I remember you um, gave me that movie as homework and uh, I did, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a very honest, very raw portrayal um, that probably a lot of women have been in that situation. Um, but what I really thought was brave about Emma Thompson was the fact that at the end, it wasn't gratuitous at all, but she just did a full nudity shot of herself looking in the mirror and accepting her body. And it clearly was a body that wasn't Botoxed or, you know, um, Hollywoodized, if that's a word in any way. Yeah, no, there's been lots of discussion because that was her body. She didn't use a body double. And she's been, you know, and I've heard interviews, yeah, they've interviewed her that, oh, you decided to, you know, go full nude yourself rather than use a body double, which she had the option of. So, yeah, quite you know, interesting, that whole idea of, yeah, you know, um, is it okay to show your real body even rather than using a body double? So, yeah. No, thank you for that, Hilary. That was just really interesting. And I'm glad you also put in the safety issue because I think, that doesn't get discussed enough in just normal exchanges of, you know, sexual intimacy, let alone in, you know, when you're um, procuring sexual services that, you know, that also is a factor that needs to be considered as well. So, Christine, I think you wanted to ask the next question. Yeah, I um, I just wanted to touch on the safety aspect because I can't tell you how many men have asked me out and said, just come to my house. And I've never met them before. And I've said, you know, no, I don't make it a habit of going to strange men's homes, you know, axe murder factor. And all. But but I wanted to ask you about tips, because I was with my husband for 27 years. So I met him in my mid 20s and we divorced when I was in my early 50s. We're not divorced or separated, but same thing. So when I started dating, I thought, oh, my God, what what do you do? And what I found difficult was those conversations around um around using a condom because I'm not worried about pregnancy anymore and but there are and there are still men that would send me don't worry I've had a vasectomy but I was very like yeah but that, that you know we're talking about STDs and, and various things and I found it was it was tough having those conversations around safe sex and and I, I wondered if you had any tips or, or stories you could share that might might help us in, the, in those situations. 
It's not an uncommon question. And one that came up in my research because all of the, the women I talked to said that the sex workers who were who had penises did use a condom without question and that, that every time they had been on hookups in their private life, they had also found that question and um, uh, very difficult. And so they, they felt safe with the sex workers because um, of the pretty much expected condom use. And they also learned from the sex workers that if the sex workers can do it, then so can random hookups um, and in intended partners. And they felt more powerful to have those discussions once they'd gotten back into the saddle in other ways without having to worry about that conversation and then progress to dating. So um, so practising would be um, my first tip, practise having those conversations with other people, intended partners, and, and know yourself, know that you will not have sex without a condom if that's if that's your choice know that that is your decision and that is that that's a red line that that's that's an abs that's that's not a negotiation and if you um if you know that before you start having these conversations with people who have penises then um you can be a lot more strong about it especially you know like you know, if you're going to hook up, you can um, know that you have the power to say yes or no to anything at all. Um, and that is something that you can decide is absolutely not negotiable. Or if it is negotiable, then that's that's your decision too. But have your decision made before you have the conversation. So that if, if, the, if you have decided that you are not going to have sex without a condom and you have someone really pushing you, then the first thing you can say is you're not respecting my wishes here and I've told you that this is the bottom line so you're I don't feel safe with you if you're going to push me on this you might push me on other things and that's definitely not safe for me to be with you so um so that's the way you can negotiate um or, or to decide whether being with someone might be safe for you or not it's about respect in the end, isn't it? Absolutely. Hilary, you touched upon on, you know, the variety of definitions of sex. It, and, you know, in other words, it means different things to different people. And what I was interested in is were you, you know, in your research for your PhD, were you surprised by anything you hadn't anticipated? I think what surprised me was the number of women, probably about half, who said their major motivation to buy sex was for some kind of therapy. And as a sex therapist who doesn't touch clients, I found that quite a high prevalence. Um, so I, I looked at that a lot more. I, I looked at the therapy kind of line and all the people who said that they bought sex for therapy said that they were surprised how much pleasure and how much that pleasure gave them confidence in their life that they received and, and how they found the whole thing to be really transformative. The people who said that they bought sexual services mainly for pleasure talked equally about how much therapy they received from the experience as well as the pleasure and joy. So in other words, 
half the people said that they bought sex for therapy, but everybody felt they had received some therapy and pleasure. And I just thought, I wonder if women are more comfortable saying that they buy sex for therapy because it's more socially acceptable or because they have a, a stronger narrative that women can ask for help in therapeutic ways where I'm not sure that men are socialised to think that they can call buying sex therapy. Men have been traditionally expected that they buy sexual services. Way back in the 50s, 1950s, it was pretty much expected that a man would buy sexual services and not bother his wife with such things as lust. I mean, since that time, obviously, um, men haven't always received, haven't always bought sexual services with the um, with society thinking that it's uh, you know a great thing. Obviously, there's been a lot of um, a lot of people who are against the idea that sexual services might be available to men to buy. But on the same token, there's not that many people who think that sexual services shouldn't be available to women to buy. So there's quite a big gender difference in how we treat people who buy sexual services. Um, that's something I found quite interesting. So what's the difference? Are we more accepting of women that buy or or more accepting of men? Uh, yeah, well, um, Emma Thompson's had quite the accolade and I, I wouldn't be surprised if she gets an Oscar for this role in the movie. So I think, um, you know, women... Women have, um, women's pleasure hasn't been prioritised by society. So anytime women do take control of their sexuality, they they can be encouraged by, sex, by society, whereas men have not really had any, you know, a deficit in their ability to experience or pursue sexual pleasure. It's always been expected of them. So to even up the score, you know, women are sort of applauded for doing these things. and. Um, that's great, but they're actually behaving in exactly the same way that men do when they do the same thing. So I think that's something to remember that rather than saying there's a problem with gendered sexuality, I would say there's a problem with the way we think about the sex industry. The sex industry is an industry that can benefit clients um, of all genders and is, you know, it's it's something that should be more highly valued. And I wonder if as time go on goes on and, and more women are known to be buying sexual services, whether the sex industry will be more valued because it's servicing women as well as men or um, or, or what will happen? I, I don't know. Or will the taboos lift, right? Like um, I, I don't know that we'll get to the point where, I mean, there used to be a thing about online dating, not anymore. And so I don't know that we'll ever get to that point with the sex industry, but it's an interesting concept. I wanted to ask you about your research and differences between people, different demographics. Are younger people more likely to buy sex than older people, or is it the opposite? And what about people uh, of different cultures? I did find some differences in motivations. Younger women tended to say they were buying sexual services to 
find out more about their sexuality, to find out what they liked, to stretch the boundaries. And women who were older tended to say that they were buying sex to practice consent, to practice skills, to clear the cobwebs, to get back in the saddle before they looked for other relationships. Um, so there was a little bit of difference in motivation, but not in um, prevalence that I could see. And as far as different cultures goes, I didn't find any different cultures in Australia, but I also only interviewed 17 women. Oh, yeah, sorry, 21 women. Um, but I do know that women are buying sexual services in every country in the world. In Japan, there's quite a industry where women go to particular bars and they pay a person who compliments them and serves them drinks all night and they may or may not take them home afterwards but they pay for that service of having someone say nice things to them um <laughs> i know that uh, <laughs> there's uh, beaches in bali that are famous for um younger men approaching older women to offer services um, and, and there are, you know, every country has its own kind of examples of, uh, women buying services of different sorts, but essentially it's the same thing. We're all looking for intimacy and connection. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. The question I had was in terms of, so if women are concerned, um, if women are considering, um, engaging a sex worker services for the first time what advice would you have for them Hillary so much <laughs> I would also I would advise they do their research um and that means shopping around as much as possible asking as many questions as possible looking at people's social media their websites twitter accounts um instagram whatever uh, site they're using um and there are websites that do give particular advice to clients of sex workers and one of them is by membership uh, which is excellent called the satisfaction project that's um a website that's run by a sex worker in melbourne who gives advice to clients about how to have the best experiences um so i'd say firstly do your research because there's nothing to say that any any person can hang a shingle to say they're a sex worker and if and, and that could be a dangerous situation for women to go into. Um, but if the person they're planning to procure services from is someone who has um, a reputation to uphold as a career, as a sex worker, and if they have quite a, an extensive media following and if they, social media following, if they, um, if they look at the responses that that person's giving to questions and um, to to feedback, then um, they can tell whether that person's going to suit them in terms of being able to negotiate with them. There are lots of things that um, people need to know about the etiquette of buying sex, and most of those things can be learned by asking questions. Everyone who buys services for the first time needs to learn those things, but I think women are a little disadvantaged because there aren't any websites that I know of that are um, groups of women clients who discuss sex workers whereas there are sites where men do that 
Um, so that does put women and, and women probably don't talk about their exploits at the pub the way men do. And so traditionally, so they may not be getting information from their friends. Their friends probably haven't bought sex. If they do tell them that they're buying services, it's, um, it's, you know, taboo and a, a little bit private. And um, so they may not have experienced friends to lean on, whereas men may. So learning these things is um, important uh, and asking questions is the first way to learn these things. Um, and actually going back to the movie, good luck to Lee, you, Leo Grand, I can tell you that Nancy made a few mistakes and we can learn from her mistakes. So Nancy, that was Emma Thompson's character, firstly stalked the sex worker online and found out his real name and told him that and he became very angry because that is a huge breach of confidentiality. And it might have been different for Leo in the movie, being a man, but also being in a movie. But for a sex workers um, to be identified and outed in public could endanger their lives. So sex workers are extremely um, private and very, very good at maintaining the boundaries. So it's not okay to ask a sex worker about their private life or um, to in any way push yourself into a sex worker's private life. So um, also Nancy in the movie outed the sex worker in the cafe near the end um, to a young woman. Outing a sex worker is an act of violence because of the stigma that they face in society. So there are two examples of things that shouldn't happen. Um, by clients. But basically, um, an experienced sex worker will help any new client with the process of learning the etiquette. I write about this a bit in my PhD, and I've also written a book about it, but it's not published yet. Is sex addiction, addiction really a thing? I mean, I find it uh, crazy that that's actually an addiction, but maybe I'm just naive. Is it a thing and, and do you treat it? And when you treat people, not just with sex addiction, but with all their issues, do you treat them individually? Do you treat couples? How does that work? I'm really glad that you have uh, reservations about sex addiction as a true addiction. There are conflicting conversations amongst sexologists on this very matter. And in my sarcastic opinion. Um, the sexologists who believe in sex addiction are those who are making money from the sex addiction industry where people are treated, um, particularly in America, people are treated in rehab centres for a sex addiction. Um, and it is a, a very um, lucrative industry for some people. Ooh, Most nice. of the sexologists in Australia, because there isn't a big industry in Australia for that, uh, most of the sexologists in Australia would say that sex addiction is not an actual thing. It is not in the DSM. It is not a pathological condition. But people do have problems with self-control and with compulsive thoughts about anything at all. And when that thing is sex, with the shame and taboo about it, it can feel like it's a terribly it, it can feel like a terrible disease because you're all alone and no one can possibly know about this shameful urge 
that you feel you can't control. So when these people see sexologists or, or see me as a sexologist, I um, would usually see a person on their own if they felt they were addicted to sex. But I have had um, couples who come to me because one person feels they're addicted to sex. So it, it, the treatment really depends on what the person would like to receive and um, and whether or not they want to involve their partner. Um, I don't think there's any particular benefit either way. If, um, But I do think that people can sometimes be more honest with me if they're not with their partner because sometimes um, they are very concerned naturally about their partner's feelings and so they might shield some of their truths. Um, but that it doesn't really matter. I would treat... Um, someone however they felt was the most appropriate for them for them um, and really people who feel compulsive urges to act in a certain way that that they also feel is damaging and distressing have anxiety issues the issue is anxiety so I wouldn't be saying you need to stop sex we need to decide how when you can have sex and how and what you are supposed to be thinking about when you have sex that kind of treatment doesn't work at all. It's like if you're addicted to food, you can't stop eating. Right. So if you would say you're addicted to sex, stopping sex is or abstinence is not actually going to help. What would help is knowing why you've got those urges and knowing what it is you really need. And, and very often people are seeking intimacy, but the sex they're having is not giving that to them because they're they're wanting intimacy or they're wanting something so badly that they're they're doing it in a way that is not giving them what they need so they're having fast mcdonald's type sex which isn't <laughs> giving them the kind of satisfaction that they really need because what they really need is to be intimate with someone which often requires slowing down and feeling the pleasure for yourself giving the pleasure to someone else and having an experience that's completely shared and enjoyed by all the people that are involved. So um, to answer the question, um, I don't think sex addiction is a thing, but I do think that people who are sexually compulsed can be helped in many ways. And um, talking to a sexologist is a perfect um, way to begin that process. And I think it's fair to say we should all avoid the McDonald's type sex. <laughs> <laughs> well, some people like McDonald's and some people like fast and furious sex with many people. And you know what? If it works for you, it works for you. I'm sure you'll find someone who it works for them as well. So, you know, there's, um, I don't like to yuck someone else's yum. <laughs> even if it's McDonald's. <laughs> I like that phrase. That's very good. Indeed, yeah. 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 Hilary, um, you've mentioned a book and can you tell us a bit about it? But also, you know, I'm interested and our, our listeners will be as well. You know, what's next in terms of research, you know, for you when between being a grandmother and, you know, uh, everything else you do in your life? So, yeah, what's on the horizon? Well, I'm not planning any more research at the moment, but I'm always keeping my ear open to what research is happening. Um, and to being involved in um, all the kinds of dissemination of those result, research results. 
So um, I love doing media. Thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. Um, so what's what's next for me is promotion of my book. It's called When Women Buy Sex. It's different than my PhD. My PhD is freely available. If anybody wants to read about women buying sex, you can just Google um, University of New South Wales Hillary Caldwell thesis and you should be able to download it for free. It's, um, of course, a thesis, so it's written in a kind of scientific way. If that doesn't float your boat, wait for my book. It's called When Women Buy Sex, and it's called that because it's more than my PhD in terms of analysis about what happens in society when women buy sex. Um, and also I've written the book in far more narrative style. So I've written stories about the women who have bought sex. I've, bought, I've written their stories and then written about them, whereas my PhD, of course, is, as I said, um, written in the way that PhDs are required to be written. All right. Should we move to the swipe right questions, Christina? We are at the speed dating swipe right at 50 questions. So some rapid questions that we are making up for you on the spot. That's how overprepared we are. And uh, <laughs> hey, I'll ask the first one if you don't mind. Uh, Hillary, if you had a magic wand, how would you change the sex industry? I would magically change it to be valued by society for the value that it brings to society. Um, wine or chocolate or something else for your kind of guilty pleasures? I <laughs> love chocolate. <laughs> you can have sex and chocolate. Uh -huh. Excellent. Yeah. Um, have you ever bought sex yourself? I have. I detail two episodes where I've bought sex in other countries. I bought sex once in Peru with a man who was also my tour guide, which is a very common way for women to buy sex when touring. And I bought sex in a soapy massage brothel in Bangkok from a woman. And yeah, I'm going to save the details for those who buy my book. Well, I think, I think I'm reading your book after learning that. The soapy massage story in particular sounds good. What's the best part of your role in being a sexologist? The absolute privilege of being a person who is trusted to hear someone's deepest, darkest thoughts, secrets, experiences, fears. If you had a superpower, what would it be? I think I already do have a superpower, and that would be enjoying sex for myself and for my chosen partners. Nice. That's the end of our, you know, speed dating questions. If, Hilary, if people want to find out more about your research, you alluded to your thesis that can be accessed um, through the University of New South Wales. And in your book, do you have a launch date or where can people keep an eye out? Not you have a I website, don't you, Hilary? Yeah. Um, I have a website for my um, sexology. My sexology practice is on hold on my website. So, my um, academic website is Dr. Hillary Sexologist, where I will put details of my book when it comes out. Um, I'm not sure of the release date yet, but I think it will be in the first half of 2023. Excellent. Very exciting. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, look, thank you for your time and, and you know, message and sharing, you know, what you've learned and what you've experienced. I think it'll give our listeners a lot to th think about 
um, because it's it's definitely challenged me in terms of you know thinking and shifting my paradigm. So thank you for your time today. I agree. Yeah, thank you, Hillary. I'm uh, I call myself a recovering Catholic, so I came very late <laughs> to sex, and I never would have thought of buying it. But who knows? You never say never. And thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Swipe Right at 50 would like to acknowledge the Ngunnawal people on whose land our podcast was recorded, and we'd like to acknowledge their leaders, past, present, and emerging. And I'd like to thank my aunt, Akta Jahan, for her music. Ah, 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 ah,